Today we're talking about uh, God's vision and dream for His people called Davison Free Methodist Church, or as I like to call it, Davison Free Methodist Nation. And we're going to look at the things in God's Word that are the, the principles that underlie the character and nature of who we are and what we do. And if you have your program, uh, turn it over to the back because there are sermon notes, message notes there. Um, and it begins with the passage from Matthew's Gospel where Jesus uh, is asking the disciples, who do people say he is? And then he asks them, who do you say that I am? And in this famous response, Peter, of course, is the one that speaks up. Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. <laughs> I love that. Like Jesus is saying, Simon, you're not that smart. You could not have figured this out by yourself, okay? I know you. <laughs> I know that this is a God thing. God has shown you this. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I, more than anything else in this life, want to be a God-honoring person who is part of a prevailing church. A biblically functioning, God-honoring, prevailing church. What does that mean? Why did Jesus say this? Now, if you know a bit of the background, you know there's been a little controversy over what the rock was, you know, the antecedent to the word in this passage. The Catholic tradition says that Jesus meant Peter himself, whose name meant rock. Um, many others, most others, including us, believe that Peter's confession is the rock. The rock is what he said, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the rock on which the church, the Christian family, the movement we call the, the church throughout history is built. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one and only risen Son of God. And it's on Him that the church is built. Now, about a month ago, maybe a little more than that, a few of us from our congregation got to go to an um, international seminar of leaders from around the world. And one of the outstanding speakers was a young guy, a pastor, named Andy Stanley. You've maybe heard of him. Son of Charles Stanley. You've probably heard of him. And Andy, in his talk, referred to this passage and went back to the original uh, Greek word for church. On this rock I will build my... And he says that William Tyndall, who did the very first translation of the English Bible, risked his life, in fact, was martyred because he did. Because in those days, only the clergy could have a Bible because people were taught they couldn't understand it so they shouldn't read it. And uh, we don't believe that to be true. We believe anybody can read and understand the Bible. Amen? That is called the perspicuity of the Word of God. That is your first doctrinal lesson for the morning. Okay? Turn to somebody and say, perspicuity. <laughs> Go ahead, say it. Try it. Perspicuity. That just means it's easy to understand, right? You can read it and you can understand it. And so, because of that, he translated the Bible into the language of the everyday people, began to circulate it, and when he translated this verse, he did not say, I will build my church. 
He didn't think that was the right word. He chose a different word. He chose the word congregation because the Greek word is ecclesia. And the ecclesia is not a building. It is not an institution. The ecclesia means called out people. So Jesus was saying on this rock that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he, Jesus, would build his people, his gathering, his team, his nation of of Christ followers. So the emphasis is not on a building or an institution. The emphasis is on the congregation. And so Andy pointed out the fact that probably through history we have lost something. Because immediately when we think church, we think building, organization, some think boring, some think irrelevant. But the original meant the people who are called and who are empowered and who are a force for good in the world, which should be inspiring and relevant and real and and challenging to all of us. That's who God wants us to become, to be, and to continue to become. A holy nation, a royal priesthood, the people of God. And in order for that to happen, he's got to work in us and and grow us and deepen us. And so this morning in the message, I want to think about three ways that God wants to work in us to make us more and more his people, his congregation, his ecclesia. The first thing is that God wants to work in each of us to get our eyes up and on him. Uh, There's an outline there, like I said, in the back of the program. And the, the first idea there is that we want to deepen our love for God as we reach up to him. The text is from John chapter 7, where it says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, when all the Hebrew people have come to Jerusalem, and this is the highest moment, everyone's expecting and excited about what God is going to do. Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now the Feast of Tabernacles, on the highest and holiest day, the priest gathered all of the people's attention, stood in the front, took a large jug of water and poured it out. And he was reminding them of all the miraculous things God had done in the past through the water. When they struck the rock and water came out. This image of the the, uh, life-giving flow of God. And just as he's pouring this out, Jesus, would like to have been there, (laughs) in a loud voice, he yells out, If anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink. The drink is not in this pitcher of water. The drink is not in just what God did in the past. He says, I will will put rivers of water within you. Anybody here know what the King James calls that? Out of your what? Belly. (laughs) Isn't that a beautiful word? Out of your belly will flow rivers of water. The, The word there means your innermost being. The part you can't really fake. The part you, you don't 
control, the part that is the core of who you are, the core of your being. Your core is central to who you are. And in that place, God wants to put a river of his goodness and his grace. Which means we not only, we begin by receiving Christ by faith. Lord, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I I am sorry, I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. And then as your forgiveness comes in and the Holy Spirit comes into my life, my prayer is, that that power of your spirit will become within me a river of living water. Not a stream, not a trickle. A river of living water coming out of my core. And so here's the challenge for us as a church family, as the ecclesia, to lean into God one day at a time, to invite his presence To live so close to him that that river grows stronger and stronger. And in the program today, there's a a card with a prayer on it. I'd like you to pull that out if you have one. And we've written a prayer for us to use as a church family over the next 30 days or so. And I'd like us to all reach up to God by the power of his spirit and invite him to be a river within us. And this is the prayer. Today I invite God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's mission to guide me, I'm sorry, wisdom to guide me, Christ within me, Christ before me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. God, I choose above all else to live this day with you. I joyfully offer you, and what's listed there, my time, my attitudes, my energy, and my words. With your help, I will fill this day. Would you read that last part out loud with me? With obedience, gratitude, humility, and great joy. Isn't that a good prayer? Mm -hmm, That's a good one. All right. So keep that by your bedstead, uh, uh, on your bathroom mirror, where you'll see it. For me, that'd probably be the fridge door, you know, Uh, maybe on the dash of the car, wherever, somewhere where you see it. Let's pray this prayer and let's mean it every day for the next 30 days and let's see what God does to our core. For the last little while, before we moved, I was going to the Y and I was taking these uh, swimming exercise classes and they would take us out into the deep end and everybody got a noodle. You know what a noodle is like? And uh, well, the first thing you did was you put it between your legs and you rode it like a bicycle. That's fun. And then when you get out to the deep end, you make like a smile and you stand on it. And then you do a bunch of exercises. You know how hard that is? You're trying to get your balance and you're in over your head. And why do they do that? Because it strengthens your core. And if your core is strong, you are strong. Let's strengthen our core. Let's look up into the face of God and invite his Holy Spirit to be with us every moment of every day. That prayer, some of you probably recognize the part in the middle, you know, Christ within me, Christ before me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. That's part of what's known as St. Patrick's breastplate. It's a Celtic prayer. Quite a number of years ago now, I began to study and, and began to be captivated by the Celtic way. Great book called How the Irish Saved Civilization. And uh, the point being that um, the Christian faith through St. Patrick came to Ireland in about 600 AD 
just when in Europe, it was the beginning of what's known as the Dark Ages. Meaning that the whole society began to fall apart. And the influence of Christianity began to struggle. It, it, it spread, but it got very odd and strange. And if you study the history of the church, those were not good days. And while chaos was setting in in the main part of Europe, over here, among the Celtic people, there was a light. There was a spiritual revival and renewal. Among other things, they hand-copied manuscripts of Scripture and, and spiritual writings that were lost in the Dark Ages, but which were saved by the influence of the Celtic Christians. And so their tradition uh, lasted for about 300 years in a strong kind of way until actually uh, more health came back to the church in Europe and the Celtic influence was folded into that. One of the things I love about Celtic Christians is that they had the habit every day of praying little prayers while they did their daily activities. So one of the Celtic prayers is, I wash my face with a palmful of the Father and a palmful of the Son and a palmful of the Holy Spirit. Have you done that one lately? Or I sweep my floor in the presence of the Trinity. The idea being that cleaning the house is symbolic of God's cleaning out our lives. I love that. And so that's part of the background of this prayer and to what I believe God is saying to us is every moment of every day, in the big and little things, and consciously, deliberately invite Christ to flow into your life and through your life to be a river of life within you, in the very core of your being. I think one of the reasons that this emphasis on looking up into the face of God and letting Him have room to work in our lives comes from a convicting time in my life. I, I read a book that wrecked me. It's called Your God is Too Safe. It's by a guy, a pastor named Mark Buchanan. Maybe I liked it because he's a Canadian. I don't know. But I think it's actually more than that. He's, a, he's an incredible author. He wrote this. Most Christians I know are stuck. We gossip even though we've repeatedly resolved not to. We read People magazine, maybe even Playboy or Best Buy flyers, but not our Bible much. We feel that everyone else has more money, longer vacations, newer cars, nicer clothes, fewer things go wrong with their hot water tank and their car and their kids than happens to us. We're stuck. We're stuck in borderland a wet, gray, lifeless city where we sit longing for good news but expecting bad. If you're in borderland, it's largely because your God is too safe. A safe God inspires neither awe nor worship or sacrifice. A safe God asks nothing of us, gives nothing to us, never drives us to our knees, in hunger, praying desperately, never sets us on our feet in fierce, fixed determination, never makes us bold enough to dance, never whispers to us in anything but greeting card slogans. 
Never ask that we embarrass ourselves by shouting from the rooftops. The safe God inspires neither awe nor worship nor sacrifice. The solution Pastor Buchanan offers is to get to know the real God. The God who is a consuming fire. The God who spoke creation into being and holds it together through His Son, our Savior. The God who dared to put on skin and die on a cross. The God who hates sin but loves sinners. The God who calls His followers to risk everything, give selflessly, love recklessly, and if necessary, die willingly. That's our God. As we pursue him with all our heart, may we recover and rediscover the real, true, living God. And with his holy fire, with that river of living water in the core of who we are, we become the congregation that Jesus is building by the power of his Spirit. Not only do we reach up into the the face of the true and living God, but we reach in to our fellowship, to our family. We are a God-honoring, biblically functioning church, which means we seek to be unified under Christ. I love the fact that Jesus prayed for us. Years ago, in college, I think, some friend of mine said, did you know, Glenn, that Jesus prayed for you? It's in John chapter 17. And there it is. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Has anybody here come to faith in Christ through the message of the disciples? That would be all of us, okay? If you're a Christian, you came to faith through the message of the disciples. So Jesus is praying for you and for me. And what is his prayer? that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed that we would get along so that he would be glorified. Do you know that in some churches, people get crosswise and they actually kind of have fights with each other? Did you know that? Like there's a book called Great Church Fights. It's not one of my favorites, but I do have it on my shelf. Or actually, I had it. I got rid of it because I didn't want to read it anymore. Okay? People fight about the stupidest stuff, right? What color some room is painted or, you know, just, I mean, I don't even want to get into the list because it might give somebody ideas. (laughs) And so here's what I know. There is far more that we agree about in Christ than anything else we disagree about. Amen? Amen. Amen. In in Christ, we have unity and oneness of the Spirit. And Jesus prayed for us that we would get along. That we could work through any differences that we might have. That we would be people who act in Christ-like ways. Which means that when we disagree, we give each other grace. We seek reconciliation. We go and speak to one another, not about one another. You know, there's this powerful principle of Scripture, Matthew 18, if somebody has something against you, you go and speak to them, which means this. You don't speak to anybody else about your difficulties before you've spoken to the person that you have the difficulty with. 
you speak to them first. If you're speaking to anybody else, you're speaking to anybody who's not the solution to the problem, you're causing a problem. And so you say, no, the way we do this is we speak to one another, and we speak to one another honestly, and we speak to one another in love. We give grace to one another. We offer forgiveness to one another. We extend a hand, a friendship to one another. Because we want Jesus' prayer to be answered in us. When we reach up into the face of God and we invite the Spirit of God to flow like a river through the core of who we are, naturally we become easier to get along with, quicker to forgive, more gracious, more kind, more gentle. All the things the Scripture describes as the life of Christ. That's His calling for us. And it's my prayer that more and more as we grow together in Christ, we will be a true family, a a nation united in our love for Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is that we dare to be honest with each other. We get past, you know, being high Christians. You know what high Christians are? Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, hi. You know, that, that whole thing. You know, we, we, we should talk, but we never talk, right? We just keep saying hi. And we become a mile wide and an inch deep, and God wants better than that. Um, some of you know that I love ministry in China. And whenever I go to China, I, I typically talk to young people in public place, restaurant, or on the street, and I know they've been to English class. And they've learned how English-speaking people talk. And so one of the first phrases they learn as they learn English is, you go up to any Chinese young adult and say, hello, how are you? They say, I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine, thank you. That's that's all they know how to say is, I'm fine, thank you. Why? Because that's all we ever say. I'm fine, thank you. Whether we're fine or not, we could have been just run over by a truck, you know. We could be having the worst day of our lives, but I'm fine, thank you. It's, it's kind of this shallow pretense that we all like to put in. I, I get that. We don't want everybody dumping their junk on us or us on them. You know, hello, how are you? Well, do you really want to know? And then you get the organ recital. Anybody ever get an organ recital? Well, I'm hurting over there and, you know, whatever. So... I know there are sort of social boundaries to this stuff, but here's what I know. Unless we get past, I'm fine, thank you, we never get very deep. And if we don't get very deep, we don't get very close. And there needs to be those times when we have permission to be discouraged, frustrated, disappointed. And we still are okay. We still are loved and we love each other and we'll love each other through this, right? We'll love each other through this and we'll get through this. And we'll be a family together in Christ. We reach up, we reach in, we reach out. And this whole last uh, section there on your outline talks about the fact that there is this mission that God has for his called ones. It is the fact that when Jesus was on earth, the scripture says in Matthew chapter 6 that when he saw the crowds harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he was moved with compassion. Now, wouldn't you think Jesus always had compassion? 
But it says that he was particularly moved. His compassion increased when he saw how helpless and harassed the people were. Here's what I know. You sit safe with your nice little group in your happy little place and you never see people in need up close and personal. Your heart grows cold. You forget. It's just somebody, you know, on an infomercial who wants more money. You know, so there's hungry people in the world, aren't they all? And your heart gets callous to that, but you get out there with needy people, face to face, person to person, and now they have a name. And now you know they have a kid or maybe a grandkid. And you begin to feel their heart and you, like Jesus, are moved with compassion. As we, uh, Davison Free Methodist congregation, nation, called out people of God, as we continue to get face-to-face, life-to-life with people in need, God will grow our heart. He will expand the compassion that He's already put in us. I love the fact that as a church family, we offer a food bank once a month the people who don't have enough. And every time I see that team of people serving, I've, I've seen it a couple times now, I'm like, man, more of us need to figure out how to plug into that. Like, that is so cool. We're starting this ministry, Family Promise, in just a couple of months. And there's an opportunity for us to meet people in our area that don't have a place to live. Because when we do that, when we meet them, when we know them, They become more than just faceless, nameless people. They become friends for whom Christ died. We have this thing, uh, it's a a fund. What is it going, what is it going, going mobile. Going mobile is a huge part of the heart of Davison Free Methodist. And what it is, is a fund that provides opportunity for us to serve locally, regionally, and internationally. I was on Facebook yesterday with a free Methodist pastor in Boulder, Colorado. You know what's going on in Boulder, Colorado, right? Floods destroying neighborhoods and homes. And and so another couple of congregations are coming over to help that congregation to deal with the flooding in in their homes of their people. How cool is that? Don't you want to be part of something like that? People who see a need and respond and and. Get our hands dirty for the cause of Christ. There's, there's such a blessing that comes when that happens. It's my prayer that God's going to raise up some, some teams internationally. We have connections around the world. There's something God does in your heart when you're there and, and what has been sort of a theory and an idea becomes a kid. Like your kid. And it changes you. God changes you. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. So we're going to go mobile. More and more and more. Locally, regionally. I, I think God has placed our church in a strategic place. We are here on the outskirts of Flint. Now, when my friends who don't live in this area find out that we moved to the outskirts of Flint, they're like, are you okay? You know, are you going to be all right? And we just did make national news, didn't we? About a month ago, uh, Detroit is now in bankruptcy, the second most dangerous city in North America, uh, second only to neighboring Flint, right? 
We're like, thank you very much. Thanks for getting all our relatives worried about us. You know, it's like, we're okay. This is actually, this is a nice place, isn't it? This is a nice place. I, I feel safe here. I even, I even go to lunch in downtown Flint. I live to tell the story, all right? <laughs> and, and here's what I know. We have opportunities to help people in very difficult circumstances just a few miles down the road. And I think God put us here not just to feel safe and feel good, but to be part of the solution. How cool would that be? That we became part of the solution to one of the most broken cities in America. I believe that's God's heart for us. And I don't, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I don't need to because this, this is a great adventure. This is a, this is a holy journey. This is, this is a God-led uh, trip. <laughs> and I want to be part of it. I want to reach up. I want to reach in. I want to reach out. Would you take the prayer card and let's pray that prayer together as we close the message today. If you'd like to, I'd invite you to just pray this out loud along with me. Today I invite God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, Christ within me, Christ before me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. God, I choose above all else to live this day with you. I joyfully offer you my time, my attitudes, my energy, and my words. With your help, I will fill this day with obedience, gratitude, humility, and great joy. Lord, you hear this prayer, and I pray that it would be not just something we read or even something we say out of duty, but that over the next 30 days as you use this prayer, May we become a holy nation. Looking up into your face, joining hands with one another, reaching out to the world. Lord, I believe this is your desire, this is your vision, this is your mission. I pray that as you do it, we will be changed individually and as a church, as a congregation, as called out people. In Christ's name, amen.